Christians are returning to the biblical feasts. What do you mean returning? You see, historically speaking, the first century Christians, the Messiah they followed, Jesus, and even Paul the Apostle, all followed the seven biblical feast days. It was a part of their faith and their heritage. But yet, it's not part of the Christian heritage today anymore. In fact, I myself, I grew up Dutch Reformed. And if you don't know what that is, my ancestors, they're the ones who fled from Europe to South Africa, escaping Catholic persecution of the reformed groups. I'm as reformed in my heritage as you can get. But yet when I saw the beauty of these biblical feasts, I could not keep my eyes off of how the gospel is integrated in each and every one of them. Me starting to implement them in my life and celebrating them every year absolutely changed my life. And in this video, I would like to tell you five reasons why I celebrate the biblical feast days and why I'll never look back. The first reason is that the gospel is in each of these feast days and told through them. You see, the gospel is a story much bigger than ourselves, but one that has started thousands of years ago. We see when we look at each feast day, for example, Passover, a story that started in the Exodus, how God passed over Israel when he was judging Pharaoh. And in the same way, we know the blood on that doorpost is a picture of the blood of Christ that covers our sins. We then have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where how Israel left Egypt and they didn't have time for their bread to leaven, to rise. And so God comes and instructs them to remove the leaven from their homes once a year as a picture of removing sin from their midst. And it is as Jesus was put in the grave that Israel was actually celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were removing the leaven from their homes while he was being placed in the grave. And then we have the Feast of First Fruits, how God came and told Israel, I want you to give me an offering of your first fruits, the first harvest of the land I want you to give to me as an offering. And in the same way, God comes. And when Jesus is raised on the day of first fruits, we see that God gives us his first fruits, his firstborn to die for our sins. And then we have a count of 50 days followed by the feast of Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. First off, we have God coming down on Mount Sinai at the feast of Shavuot originally, giving Israel the commandments, the truth, the law that they ought to live by. But then on Mount Zion, Jesus had sent his Holy Spirit to descend upon his people. So we have both the spirit and the truth given on this feast day, equipping us with all we need to be more like Jesus. And then we have the Feast of Trumpets, 
where God comes to Israel and tells him to blow trumpets on once a year at this festival, just like we then read of how Jesus will return at the blowing of a trumpet. And then we have the Day of Atonement, where we, God will one day come back. Judgment Day will occur. And you will either have redemption in him because you have an atonement in Christ who covers your sin or there will be judgment. And then, of course, last but not least, we have the Feast of Sukkot. This is where God comes and says he wants us to make a tent. And that's why Jesus said he comes to make his tent dwell among men. That is a picture of how we will one day be with him at the marriage supper of the lamb, where he has spoken to say that he prepares a place for us in his father's house that has many rooms. Each year, as we get to celebrate each and every one of these seven beautiful feasts, we get to focus on a unique element of the gospel that we can exercise, remind ourselves of and teach our children. And while these feasts sound like a lot and it sounds complicated, that's how it definitely felt to me when I heard a bit about it the first time. I want to tell you that it's really not. But the, then the way that they're expressed in the scriptures of how to celebrate are extremely simple and easy for anyone new to get into. The second reason that I want to bring up on why I celebrate the biblical feasts is that the biblical feast days is really a timeline, a a calendar of the Bible, and it shows us our purpose in our generation. You see, we are a speck on the timeline of history, yet we have value in God's kingdom. And the feasts really tell us what that is. As these feasts have gone along, many of them have been fulfilled and some of them remain to be fulfilled. The last feast that has been fulfilled has been the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out. In fact, that is really the age we live in. The last feast that was fulfilled is now what we continue to practice until his second coming. You see, the first fulfilled feast about his first coming and how we now prepare the way for the world for his second coming, the unfulfilled feast, the day of trumpets, the day of atonement and the feast of Sukkot. And so as we now are standing in this timeline of the fulfillment of the feast of Shavuot or Pentecost, we are reminded of our important role of the Great Commission, for example, to spread the gospel, as Yeshua said just before he ascended, that we ought to do. The third reason of why I celebrate the biblical feasts is about in times preparation. The biblical feast days are there to help us prepare for his coming. Just like we discussed, the first feasts are about his first coming. The unfulfilled remaining feasts are about his second coming. That means that when we practice them in that is preparation for us spiritually for when he does come back again. Just one example is the Feast of Trumpets, the next feast that is to be fulfilled. You see, in the scriptures, it's very vague on really what this is when it was given. Let's read a few verses about this feast. It says Leviticus 23, 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. 
You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. He simply says that this is a day where you have fun in blowing trumpets, remembering something to do with trumpets. You also rest and you make an offering to God as thanks for his goodness. But what is this all about? And I mean, when this was given to Israel, I think it was even more confusing on what it really it was that they were celebrating. But see, today with the revelation of Christ that we have, we know that he will one day return with the blowing of trumpets. You see, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So if celebrating this feast was relevant to ancient Israel when God gave it to them originally, how much more is it relevant to us today who are so much closer to tasting his return? You see, it's not irrelevant like some have said. It's more relevant than ever before for us to be reminded every time we celebrate it, we blow the trumpet, we hear the cry and we we are reminded, well, what will it sound like? What will it be like when his trumpet truly does blow and it will blow one day? Will we be ready? And in many similar ways, we are prepared for his return in celebrating these feasts. You see, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that the irony is that many Christians have said that, you know, oh, we celebrate the feasts. Some of them, you know, we celebrate Passover and Pentecost and some of the fulfilled feasts that were about his first coming. But they would say that the unfulfilled feasts are not relevant to celebrate, that they are too Jewish or whatever. But see, the feasts that are to be fulfilled still are arguably some of the most important because they are to still happen. They are to still be fulfilled. Why do we only celebrate that which has happened? We need to celebrate, look forward and practice that which is to come as well. And that brings me to my fourth reason on why I keep the biblical feasts. And this one is quite personal to me. Because, you know, initially, you know, when you hear about this, everyone always tells you, don't worry about these feasts. They're Jewish feasts. That's what the Jews do. And, and us Christians, we we have our own feasts. You know, some of them aren't even in the Bible, but never mind that. You know, we we, we, we don't look to the ones in the Bible. We look to others instead. No, listen, this is the biggest myth ever, because the reality is, is that our Messiah was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. And the Bible says that whoever says he abides in Jesus or to walk as Jesus walked. This is not about something being Jewish or not. Jesus was Jewish. It doesn't matter. We obey and follow him because that's the most Christian thing to do is to be like Jesus, to be Christ alike. And what did Jesus do? That's really the question here. Well, it says what he did all over your New Testament. For example, we read regarding Sukkot in John 7 verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began preaching. He was at the feast of Sukkot at the temple and he actually preached there. He was celebrating this feast. And of course, we very well know the feast of Passover, how Jesus in Luke twenty-two fifteen, 15, 
He, he celebrated it with his disciples. I have earnestly desired to keep this feast with you, he says. And he did these feasts every year of his life because he loved it and he loved his father. Not to mention Paul the Apostle himself, the one who wrote much of your New Testament, kept the feasts as well. He, he thought it was so important to keep the feasts. In fact, that he was willing to leave people he was ministering to, to get on a boat, sail across the ocean, to get to the place to celebrate it. For example, we read in Acts 18, 21, but he bade them farewell saying, I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you if God wills. And he sailed from Ephesus. He also speak to the church of Corinthians and he speaks in feast language. In other words, he speaks in a way that they could only really understand had they been intimately familiar with, in this case, the feast of unleavened bread. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump and you are really then unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You see that leaven we know represents sin if we celebrate the feast. And that's how they knew what Paul was talking about. But see these feasts, as I mentioned, they're not Jewish feasts. Let's let God tell us whose feasts these are because he does tell us and he says in Leviticus 23 to speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed times. Secondly, we need to understand when God was speaking to Israel initially to give these feasts, he was not just speaking to Jews. He was speaking to the 12 tribes of Israel, as well as a mixed multitude of Gentiles, strangers, ex-pagans who wanted to follow him, but who weren't Jewish, nor even part of any tribe of Israel for that matter. He says in Exodus 12, 49, that there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. In other words, whoever you are, whether you're part of the 12 tribes of Israel, whether you're not, it doesn't really matter. Never mind that the 12 tribes of Israel themselves, the native born in the land, actually they don't represent only the Jewish people. There are many other tribes that have assimilated into the nations today that have lost their identity. You may literally have native born one of the 12 tribes of Israel blood running through your veins, but yet not know it. And so what does this leave us to do with that idea? There's good news that Christ has brought us, that we are all grafted into Israel, no matter what your bloodline is. And we are all one in Christ and we are all following Christ in the same way, obeying him in the same way, imitating him in the same way, being like him in the same way, no matter where you're from, or who you are. It's all about being more like him, his example. It's about being saved, but then it's about walking as he walked, saved completely by faith in him. But then because we love him, we imitate who he is. So if we use the argument that the feasts are too Jewish, perhaps our problem is not with the feasts, but maybe the biblical Jesus has become too Jewish for us to imitate. And last but not least, the reason number five of why I keep the biblical feasts 
is because I will be keeping it whether I like it or not one day anyway. Yes, it is prophesied in the book of Zechariah that all people will celebrate the feast of Sukkot one day when Jesus comes and sets his kingdom up on earth as it is in heaven. Let's read it. He says in Zechariah 14 verse 4, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall move northward, the other southward. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be the one, and his name one, and it Jerusalem shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. So we're reading about a definite future time because none of this has happened yet, where God has started to judge the earth. There has been destruction on his enemies. He set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. His feet have landed on the Mount of Olives. And then he says the following. Verse 16, everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths, Sukkot. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. There shall be punishment to Egypt and punishment to all nations that do not go to keep the feast of booths. You see, one day God will destroy his enemies and those who are remaining, the people who survive his wrath will go to celebrate the feast of Sukkot. And he says that if you do not come to celebrate it, if you do not come to worship me, I will punish you with no rain. No rain is representing death. When there's no rain, there is famine. That is the punishment. You see, right now we are in a place of mercy and grace and we have the ability to worship him out of our own willing desire. He is not forcing our hand or anything. But there is going to come a day, brothers and sisters, when there will be a time when if you do not worship him, if you do not keep the feast, you will receive punishment from the Lord's hand yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but if I look at this of how he will treat his enemies and I know I am his friend, I know I worship him, I am his disciple, then today is the day that I want to worship him with his feast at his feast of booths. I want to celebrate Sukkot in this day before we even get there. Yes, you can wait until that day, but how much more precious would it be to look back and say, I have been celebrating this feast, O Lord, so long before you've even come to set your kingdom on earth. I've been celebrating it. And now that you're here, I will celebrate it all the more. Hallelujah. What an honor that is for us to be able to do. And this all just shows us how serious God takes this topic, how much he would love for us to do what he told us to do. And hey, if this is all new to you and you're like, wow, this is like an overload of information. You can take a step back and go through our Father's Festivals playlist. You can start by clicking right here on the screen. Chew a little bit on what we're talking about here. Test everything I say to the word and find what is true. May Father bless you. May he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you shalom and blessing. May he bless you with all the truth for your journey. Shalom, shalom.
I want to say a special thank you to our partners who have made this teaching possible and every other teaching this month. You can find out how to become a partner yourself by visiting riseonfire.com. Thank you.